Luke 4 And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Karen, thank you so much for reading for us so beautifully. And good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Shall we commit this time in the moment of prayer? Lord Jesus and our loving Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the privilege to come under your word. May you give us obedient hearts and submissive minds. Amen. Now, as a culture, my suspicion is that we don't pay enough attention to the devil. It tends to be the case that cultures are either too preoccupied or naive about the devil and his work. I wonder when was the last time when you gave serious consideration to the work of Satan. Someone once said in our culture, the devil has distracted us completely with materialism. Or quoting somebody else, a famous Today magazine columnist once wrote an article called, we don't believe in the devil, but the trouble the devil believes in us. Well, let us be clear here. We are not talking about a figure in red tights. We are not talking about the figure with long fork tail and pointy horns. We are not talking about the one who shall not be named from Harry Potter. But rather we are talking about the personal force for evil. The one who lies behind everything and everybody who rejects God and will not line up to the, with God and his purposes in this world. When we are speaking of the devil, we are not necessarily speaking only about the high profile wickedness, wickedness 
Yes, high profile wickedness. But at the same time, Satan is one who entices each and every one of us in so many ways to give way to sin and to reject God's rule and purpose for our lives. And if we are honest with ourselves, I think we will all say and confess that frequently, over and over, we fail and give in to him. He is a fearsome enemy and apart from God's help, he has us all in his grip. Now, as we come to consider the passage that we have just read, I have two points to follow. The first one is Satan, a very real enemy. The second one, Jesus, a very mighty king. Now, here in this very famous passage in the Gospels, Jesus is tempted three times by the devil. Firstly, he is tempted to place self-preservation over obedience to God. Go on, you are hungry. Use your powers to feed yourself. How often when we faced with a clear choice between one course of action that we know to be disadvantageous but morally right and another course of action that we know to be advantageous to ourselves but morally wrong, how often do we choose the wrong way? I would say over and over again. The second area of temptation, which we find in this passage, is Jesus is tempted to place self-advancement over loyalty to God. He is taken up and shown all the splendor and the glory of the world. In a moment of time, all this will be yours, says Satan, if you will be, be, if you will be disloyal to God and bow down and worship me. How often when faced with a decision that means my own self-advancement, but disloyalty to God and to what he would want for my life, how often do I take a wrong course? Again, I want to say, and from my point of view, frequently, Often, when career and financial gain is at stake, I choose career and financial gain over loyalty to God. And the third area of temptation of Jesus here is that he must now prove self-assurance and certainty over the deep and real trust in the word of God. And the devil takes Jesus to the point, to the top of the temple, and he looks over the edge, and he says to him, come on, throw yourself over, and see if God does what he said he will do. Can you take him at his word? That's the question he's asking Jesus here. Can you really take God at his word? Is he trustworthy? 
Again, how often when we're faced with the solid word of God's promise, do we doubt and put our trust for a kind of man-made assurance? Again, we do out saying, I failed. One commentator said about this particular temptation, this is the most symptomic of our age, demanding God to jump through hoops made by us, setting God our own corruptible and pathetic test we want him to keep. So over and over, you and I fail when confronted by this fearsome enemy. Satan is described in the Bible as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit at work in children of obedience, the ruler of this world, the father of lies, the great serpent. Indeed, he is a fearsome enemy. And apart from God's help, I want to suggest that he holds us all in his grip. We are all enslaved to sin and to Satan's wiles. And however hard we try, we fail again and again. And if you think you are not that person, I wonder if you are a human being. So he's a figure of immense cunning and craftiness. So to say Satan doesn't exist is a fully and naivety. So here is our first point. Satan is a fearsome enemy and the appearance of him here in Luke's gospel immediately after the baptism of Jesus is no surprise. Of course Satan appears and steps up to the plate the moment that Jesus is identified publicly as the Son of God. The moment Jesus is commissioned by God to God's task to bring salvation, of course Satan comes to, comes to the plate and show up. So here then we have this major confrontation. Let's pause and reflect for a moment. How are we to understand Jesus' temptation? And how are we to apply them to us today? Well, the first thing we need to register is that Jesus' temptation are not first and foremost about the little you and the little me. I'm not sure if you've heard how at times the, 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 the teaching about Jesus' temptation is taught as if I am the primary reference. The subject of Luke's gospel is not me. The subject of Luke's gospel is Jesus. He has been the key figure from the start. And Luke's purpose has been for us to have confidence in Jesus as the one who has come to save and rescue us. So this chapter is about first and foremost Jesus. In fact, if you look closer to the temptations. They are not like anything that you and I faces. I mean, when last you went for 40 days and 40 nights without anything to eat. And while you are 
hungry, the devil comes to you and says to you, turn the stones into bread. When last did that happen to you? I don't think it was yesterday. When was the last time Satan took you and offered you all the kingdoms of this world and their glory and their splendor? When last did the devil came to you with a piece of scripture, Psalm 91, which is specifically written for God's anointed king, suggesting to you that you were that king and therefore you can claim the promises of that psalm? The answer is, I don't think it happened to you. So the issues that we're dealing with here are far bigger than the little me and my little temptation, though they are relevant to them. But it has something to do with an identity of Jesus, his credentials and his qualifications for the task he has been set for, the Son of God and the suffering servant. So now that we have established that both the context and the content of our passage is about Jesus. Let's look back in chapter 3 verses 22. What does God say of Jesus after his baptism? He says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Again, 3 verses 38, the genealogy says of Jesus, he is the son of God. Now let's come to our passage and look at the content of the temptation. Verses 3. If you are the Son of God. Verses number 9. If you are the Son of God. Here then is the test of Jesus. Is he who he says he is? This is a great clash of powerful forces. Good and evil, God and Satan meeting at the center stage. Will Jesus stand against the devil in a way in which no human being has ever done? In all the history of the universe, here is the one and Satan come to meet. Will he stand or will he fall? And I want to suggest that he had been tried and tested and therefore he is qualified and equipped. He has been, he was tested at the most extreme end of human need. He was enticed with an offer of universal splendor and he was pressed at a point of doubt and a need for assurance. And what happened? He obeyed, he was loyal, and he trusted. Jesus had gone for 40 days without food. And it's a deliberate mirror of the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites who were in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus' response to Satan's temptation to use his power illegitimately is quoting back in the in these wanderings, in these wilderness wanderings, quoting Moses. Moses said, did you not know that God tested you to know what was in your heart, 
if you would obey God or not. Also, this is the test of Jesus if he will walk in dependence upon God or when faced with extreme need will he use his power God has given him illegitimately. It's a straightforward test. He could have turned those stones into bread just like that in a word. But he responds and he says, man shall not live on bread alone. The second temptation is an offer of all authority and glory and splendor. It's a bit subtle because you see, Jesus as the son of God, all the kingdoms of this world and its glories, they belong to him anyway. So what, what Satan was offering to Jesus, it already belonged to him. But the question that Satan is trying to ask him is, is Jesus willing to win the right of all the splendor and the kingdom of this world by going God's way? Or will he short circuit God's plan and the route God had for him? Or avoid the path of showing loyalty to Satan by avoiding the path of showing loyalty to Satan. So the final test is the question about his readiness to take God at his word. And again, Satan knows very well who Jesus is. He quotes scriptures to him. He's quoting Psalm 91, which is a promise to God's king. And Jesus responds again to Satan by, by Deuteronomy 6, showing that we are to take God at his word and trust him with the consequence with his consequences so what do we see jesus do here well we see jesus being loyal and obedient we see him trusting in a way which nobody has ever done in the history of humanity before this point and after that point so he is tried and tested he is enticed at the most excessive point of power and splendor. He is pressed in the area of doubt and certainty, and yet he remains loyal and obedient. And I want us to pause for a moment and consider Jesus. I have a friend, when he takes the wedding, he often takes a moment and say to the couple, I want you to take your eyes away from one another. I want you to forget for a moment about the honeymoon and the reception that is still to come. I want you to consider Jesus. And I want us to do that for a moment as well. Peter says he knew no sin, no deceit was on his lips. And Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. The great apostle Paul wrote, God made him who knew no sin to sin for us. Think of your greatest heroes. Think of the people you respect and admire the most in your life. Could it be your father? Could it be Billy Graham, Mother Teresa? 
They know, you know that they have flaws. In fact, they would be the first to admit. Yet here we see this man who is flawless, who is perfect, fully obedient, when pushed to the limit, enticed, tried and tested, he stands against Satan, always obedient, always loyal, and always trusting. Therefore, this means he is tried and tested. He is therefore qualified and equipped. This is more than just the power, the, the power space between good and evil and God and Satan. But his refusal for, to self-advancement and self-preservation and self-assurance, it shows to us that Jesus is God's real king and God's suffering servant, both at the same time. And the question here is, will he go the way of the suffering servant? Will he thread the path of self of selflessness and suffering? Or will he choose self-preservation, self-advancement? Or will he adopt a short-second short route to the glory of God? Because you see, if Jesus had chosen self-preservation, therefore he would have disobeyed God and he would have never been qualified to go to the cross, to die for our sins and carry God's judgment at all wrong that we have done. If Jesus had chosen the route of self-advancement, it means he would have been disobeyed, disloyal to God. He could have never been qualified and equipped to carry my sin in his body on the cross. But here we see that right in the wilderness, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he had already decided that he's going to go the way of the cross. He's going to thread the path of obedience and suffering and the way of selfless of selflessness therefore that means Jesus was going to become a perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all those who turn to him for forgiveness so as we conclude let's go back where we started how good are you at facing the great enemy satan how good are you at that task? When temptation and trials come your way, how well do you do? If you're a, a score shit, how would you score yourself? Would it be a star, an E or an F? Well, let me tell you what it would be for me. It would be an F. I failed over and over. Again, when it comes to the issue of self-advancement, frequently I fail by making the wrong choices. Self-preservation, frequently I fail and make the way that is loyal to myself rather than to God. So what does this tell you and I 
about Jesus. When it tells us that there is the one who paved the way, who chanted the way of God, who faced the judgment and took it upon himself for all our failures. So there is the savior of the world who has brought the salvation. And as you and I come to him weak and feeble in our own strength, and as we look to him, the words of the hymn says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we confess that again and again we fail in our own strength to do what is right, even though we know it, our selfish nature takes us to places where we are not loyal to you and to your will for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the example set by Jesus for us. That here in Jesus, we have the one who have followed the way of selflessness, who had followed the way of the suffering servant. Thank you for the cross. Amen.